really sing. <laughs> la, 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 la. Hello and welcome la, la, to the SBNY podcast. My la, name is Peter Kennedy and I am your host. The Sports Blog New York podcast can be found on iTunes, Apple Podcasts app, as well as Google Play. If you have not done so already, please don't forget to subscribe to this very podcast on any of those apps. And if you like what you've been hearing, don't forget to leave a rating and a review on this very podcast on any of those apps. Drop some stars, drop some comments on what you think of the show, what you like, what you don't like, what you think of me, anything you can imagine. But any feedback is always appreciated. But today on The Bill, we have a lot of stuff to talk about. I'm going to give you my full breakdown to the Tim Hardaway signing that is official. Hawks won't match. Got Yankees thoughts about Joe Girardi and what's going on with their struggles, as well as a few other NBA thoughts as well. But as you know, first, let's get a word from our presenting sponsor. Wooter Apparel is the number one shop for all custom uniforms and apparel. Lowest prices, two to three week turnaround, every sport and any design you can imagine. Wooter Apparel empowers teams and athletes around the world by offering the best subliminated uniforms and apparel at unbeatable prices. Check them out at wooterapparel.com or on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at wooterapparel. And best part is use discount code SBNY for a special discount at your purchase. And that's discount code SBNY. But boy, do we have some stuff to talk about. Because the Knicks made a move. And you heard me on this very podcast last week, after the 4th of July weekend, say that one of the good things about the Knicks thus far is they haven't messed up yet. And we all know that we're at the point in the Knicks franchise where we could be happy with saying they haven't messed up yet. That's a positive. Not doing anything for this team was actually a positive. And then they come out and say they're going to offer a sheet to Tim Hardaway Jr., ex-Nick, played two years in New York, was drafted by New York, $71 million four-year contract. So <laughs> I wrote my breakdown on sportsblognewyork.com, so check that out. I'll link it into the podcast article as well as it living on its own. Uh, you can find it through Twitter or just go to sportsblognewyork.com and click on the basketball tab, that Tim Hardaway Jr. article with my thoughts are up there. But I'm basically going to, walk you through my thoughts in just a moment. The overwhelming majority of Knicks fans, uh, from my perspective, seemed pretty disappointed with the signing. And the other ones weren't exactly disappointed. They were pissed off. They were not happy. Knicks fans did not like this deal at all. At least from my perspective. If you happen to notice a different perspective, please let me know. And hit me up on Twitter. And my Twitter is pkennedy with two Ys at the end. Or our, our Twitter, at Sportsblog New York. Uh, at Sportblog NYC is the Twitter handle, actually. But let, let me know what you think. Let me know what you saw as the overwhelming majority on this Tim Hardaway contract. Because I saw a lot of negative. And I wrote in the article, I saw a lot of negative and really negative. With a few, very few optimists sprinkled in. But what I tried to do with my breakdown is not just say, I hate it, I love it, Tim's good, Tim's bad. I tried to holistically look at the situation. I tried to be objective. I know that's uh, not a thing around anymore. Objectivity kind of falls by the wayside when it comes to, you know, making things pop out and making bold takes, hot takes. You know, you, you know what that's all about. I'm not going to get too deep into that. But I tried to look at it from the money standpoint, from him as a player standpoint, from the Knicks franchise perspective. 
with him being restricted, with him being 25 years old, coming off a decent year, but also the money. So I tried to look at it all, and I'm going to give you that breakdown in a minute because I have to talk about something else first. So the Tim Hardaway breakdown is coming. This is Sports Blog in your podcast. I'm Pete Kennedy. But i got to talk about the Yankees. And I was going to have my man Alec Argento on the podcast with me to start off this week, but he unfortunately was could not make it. He's a big Yankee guy. You guys know that. Uh, co-host, friend of the podcast. But it's just me tonight. But I have some thoughts because on my weekend in the car, listening to radio, listening to callers and hosts and talking to friends and group chats and all this, Yankees are in a weird place right now, huh? It's pretty fair to say the Yankees are not feeling how they felt a month ago. Because just about one month ago, a little bit less than one month ago, things really, really shifted on the New York Yankees club. I'm going to give you a date. And that date is June 12th. June 12th was the last time the Yankees won consecutive games. In fact, they had a six-game winning streak starting on June 7th that went into June 12th. And then from June 12th to that point on, they went on a seven-game losing streak. So, you know, you're coming off a six-game win streak. Feel real good. Yankees are still sitting on top of the AL East. You know, Boston's getting close, but you just won a series against them. All is well in Yankee world. And then all of a sudden, June 13th, wasn't even a Friday, everything seemed to change. Seven-game losing streak. Yankee fans start to panic. And from that point on, the Yankees have still yet to win back-to-back games. That sounds like a stat that should be a Mets stat. But no, the Yankees have been truly, truly struggling. And I'm not going to sit here and break down exactly why they've been struggling. I think some of those reasons are pretty, pretty obvious. I mean, the pitching is down to earth. The bullpen can't hold a lead. And just some guys aren't that good. When you complain about Chase Headley, you've got to remember who you're complaining about. It's Chase Headley. You're not talking about a perennial all-star. You're talking about a guy who has been a decent player his whole career and had one awesome year before the Yankees signed him. But he's been decent, and he's still just average. He's fine. He's not going to win or lose you too much in either direction. Aaron Judge has still been good. Gary Sanchez is getting there. You know, now you're getting the injury bug. Again, it feels like some of these Mets storylines. But the one thing that I can't deal with, the one thing that bothers me from Yankee fans, isn't complaining about the pitchers. It's not complaining about a little losing streak here, losing streak there, even though they're struggling for real right now. The thing that bothers me is complaining about Joe Girardi, the now long-time coach of the New York Yankees. This guy has been around the block, played for the organization, won as a player, has won as a coach now with the Yankees in 09, coached some of the best talents to ever play the game. But Joe Girardi should be fired, right? That's what you think, Yankee fan listening to this podcast right now? Let me know. Please hit me up on my Twitter, at pkennedy2wise. You want Joe Girardi to be fired, huh? Well, let me enlighten you on to why that is absolutely absurd. To mid-season, pull a trigger like that, knee-jerk reaction, tough stretch of games. Let's fire Joe Girardi. We need a change of pace. He's binder Joe. Get rid of him. 
Doesn't know how to handle a bullpen. Joe Girardi's the problem, right? That's not true. Because let's look back to the beginning of the season. And I know I, always, I am one to say that MLB predictions mean nothing. They're garbage. It's like predicting an NCAA tournament. There are a million variables that go into this. I mean, MLB predictions basically don't mean much after a couple weeks, right? But let's remember what the talent told us before the season of what the Yankees were going to be. Young, exciting talent with lackluster pitching that may not lead to a lot of wins, but will lead to a lot of growth and exciting baseball. And so far, you have had great growth. You have had exciting baseball. And you had way more wins than you were expected to get and probably should have had looking at this talent from the rotation to the lineup. Now, the Yankees compete every night. As a Mets fan, me telling you this, you have to try to hear me out. I don't want the Yankees to lose. I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. I like when they lose because I can dig on my friends who are Yankees fans. But that is not why I'm here right now. I'm here right now to tell you that Joe Girardi has his men playing hard, competing, and growing as players. Who would have thought Aaron Hicks was such a key cog before he was uh, banged up a little bit? You guys all wrote him off. No one expected Aaron Judge to do this, but you know we've been around the block talking about that, so I don't need to go into it. Joe Girardi puts out a team onto the field every week. And yeah, you can nitpick a lineup here. Yeah, you can nitpick giving a guy a day off here and there. That's the little stuff. The big stuff is putting a team out there that tries to win night in and night out, and that is what Joe Girardi inspires. He's done it for years, and he still does it. If you think there's a man out there who you're going to put in charge of this team, who's automatically going to restring this roster and restring everybody's minds to play differently, tell me, please, please let me know who this guy is who's going to come in mid-season around the All-Star break and change the culture of the New York Yankees. A team with great culture to begin with, with a young talent that is hungry, with some veterans who are hanging around and can play. You guys got the injury bug a little bit. Your pitcher's cooled off. Tanaka's been struggling. You guys are still above expectations of where you may have been when we go back to the beginning of the season. And I know expectations change as a season goes on. I get that. But me hearing you say, it's Joe Girardi, what is he doing? Binder Joe, fire Joe Girardi. It drives me insane. You still got four games above 500 after a horrendous streak of a month where you couldn't win back-to-back games. And you're still right there for a wild card, and you're still an opposite of your seven-game losing streak, you know, a five, six, seven-game win streak. You're one of those away from being right back where you were a month ago. So I don't want to hear your whining about Girardi. I don't want to hear your complaining. You're on a tough streak right now, Yankee fans. It's okay. You already far exceeded expectations. Now hopefully, and hopefully, you guys can all relax, Yankee fans included. I mean, Yankees players included. 
when this all-star break, which is here, finally, right? Finally, the all-star break is here. Because, let's be real, the Yankees needed the all-star break like two weeks ago. Right after that losing streak, they needed to win one and say, all right, give me that all-star break. We need to breathe. We need to take a break. I need to not swing for a day or something like that. Because Yankee fans are freaking out. They want to fire Joe. It's not the answer. Hit me up with an example of a Major League Baseball team that fired their longtime head coach midseason and a new guy came in and changed the ship. It doesn't happen. Mostly anomaly. When an interim coach comes in, the change of culture you know, sparks everybody for a little bit. It's typically not sustained over a long period of time. I am telling you your best bet is to stick with Girardi. This guy has been around the block. Do you remember last year when the Yankees had no right even winning baseball games? I mean, yeah, Gary Sanchez went bananas. But that's because Joe Girardi puts guys on the field who try to win night in, night out, compete at the highest level. That is all you can ask for. Nitpick a lineup here all you want. Nitpick a day off for a guy that you don't think should get one. Those aren't what matters over 162. It's the culture, it's the drive, it's the competitive nature of the team, and they still have that. The Yankees can usually hit. They've obviously been struggling, but they can hit. And if the pitching gets back to even halfway point of where they've been the past couple weeks to where they were uh, a couple months ago, everything will be fine. The W's will start hopping back up onto the scoreboard. And you guys will stop complaining about fire Joe Girardi. Because realistically, do you really know what you're asking for with getting rid of Joe Girardi? Mid-season, nonetheless. If, the, if everything hits the fan and the season ends, you don't make the playoffs, you're disappointed, and this cold streak continues for another half a year, another half a season, then come at me. I think it's a, t- a, a time for a change of scenery. I think it's a time to get a new voice in here. But mid-season, after such a fantastic start, you have, a, you have one rough month and you're going to call it quits on this guy? Get out of here. I don't want to hear that anymore. If you disagree with me, please let me know. At SportBlogNYC, at PKennedy2Wise. But that's something that just bothered me all weekend. I was listening in the radio. and we were t- They're talking Knicks and they're talking Tim Hardaway. And then all of a sudden a caller comes in and says, I have a Knicks thing, but I also want to get to this Yankees thing real quick. Joe Girardi's got to go, and he's freaking out, and he got to fire him. That's not how it works. It takes time to get over a cold streak. It takes time for a hot streak to wear off. It's okay. Girardi's been around the block, and you guys compete night in, night out. If you watch the Mets night in, night out, you question their competitive drive. You know? You don't really question that with the Yankees, and that's why you got to let it go. You got to keep your head up. You got to keep watching, keep fighting. The Yankees will be okay. Because everything, in my opinion, the Yankees have accomplished so far this season has been absolute gravy. Because the future looks fantastic for the Yankees right now. A couple pitchers here in the next couple seasons. One signing, continuous growth out of these young guys. You Yankees are okay. Everything so far this season has been gravy. Be thankful. To have a guy who's been around the block, who's won a championship, who has these players playing hard. And that's all I'm done. I'm done with the Girardi thing. That's enough. I don't want to hear you saying firing. 
I don't want you to hear. I don't want to hear you complaining. Honestly, I'm tired of you Yankee fans already. I almost liked it better when you were winning. Now you lose for one month and you're crying. I don't want to hear that. All right, so I'm done. I'm moving on. I'm moving on. But don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcast app, as well as Google Play. Uh, this is SBNY Podcast, also Sports Blog New York Podcast, whatever you like to call it. That's fine. And I'm P. Kennedy. I'm your host. I'm here with you every single Monday, Monday morning. Uh, we release a show, and we like to get one as well, usually uh, in the Wednesday, Thursday range, but guaranteeing you that first day of the week, start you off right with your New York sports, your national sports, a little bit of everything, and hopefully uh, provide you a good time and some insight. Got to try to help everybody look at things from different perspectives. I think that's important with understanding sports because sports can be you know, cut down from a million different angles. And that's why it's cool to hear something different. And I try to, I try to bring my two cents, try to bring in uh, everything I observe and give you something to enjoy, something to learn with and uh, hopefully interact with. You know, hit me up on my Twitter at pkennedy2wise as well as uh, with those ratings and reviews on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, App, and Google Play. But let's move on. Time to talk about this Knicks-Tim Hardaway Jr. situation. And again, let me know what you think and what you saw. Because what I saw was negative and more negative. Yeah, you know, I've seen some people say Tim Hardaway had a good season last year. Maybe it's not going to be so bad. This and that. But let's be real. The overwhelming majority was negative. Most people do not like this deal. Now, before I tell you exactly how I'm going to grade the deal or exactly what I think of it, I'm going to walk you through my breakdown of the deal from start to finish, from top to bottom, however you want to look at it. So first off, let's all agree. $17 million a year is a lot of money. $17 million for four years, it's over $70 million for the whole contract. It's a lot of money. Now, if you think Tim Hardaway is fantastic, if you think he is a starting point, a shooting guard, if you think he's a fantastic bench player, if you think he's coming off a great season... Or, you think he's trash, you think he's not that good, you think he's overrated. No matter how you look at him as a player, you have to admit $17 million is a lot of money. Not trying to deny that. Not denying that at all. But this is what I feel strongly about regarding the $17 million for four years. The Knicks took a chance on a guy who's 25 years old, entering his prime. Not a guy who's 30, past his prime, a la Joe Kim Noah, a la even Courtney Lee, who's still a quality player. But, you know, he's past his prime uh, athleticism stage. He's 32 years old. The Knicks took a chance on a guy who's 25. The NBA prime, on average, ranges from 26 to 32. Maybe it's 26 to 30 for somebody. Maybe it's 28 to 32. Very rarely do you see somebody have huge increases once they pass 30. You typically know who somebody is when they're 28, 29. And that's what we're seeing in this NBA. All these young guys come into the draft. More freshmen are being drafted than ever in the NBA history. Now, it feels a lot like one and done. This one and done culture has been around for a long time. But in the grand scheme of things... It's still relatively new. And the amount of freshmen getting drafted is up and up and up every single year. We all know this. And what have I learned 
from this? We're seeing players reach their prime later into their career. Not later into their age, into their personal life. Just later in their career. Look at Devin Booker. My man ain't even 21 yet. He's going into his third season. He might be 21 now, actually. I'm not sure. But that's besides the point. He's 21. Entering his third season. Granted, he's going to be a star quicker than than most, but we're seeing a lot of these players take their full rookie contract and half of their second one, sometimes all of their second contract, to really become quality, to become comfortable, to become confident. And that showed with Tim Hardaway Jr. He came into this league athletic, okay shooter, good college shooter, okay shooter in the NBA, and he didn't improve his game. He was a poor slasher but had moments. He was a streaky shooter but mostly inconsistent. That was when he was 21 years old. He then did not improve in year two. He then in year three got moved to Atlanta and got a real slap in the face when joining a winning team. At that point when Tim Hardaway joined Atlanta, they were a top dog in the the East. Granted, it didn't mean reaching a championship. They won a lot of games and they had a winning culture with Mike Budenhoser as a quality, quality NBA coach. Tim Hardaway Jr. got sent to the bench. My man got sent to the D-League. Wake up call for Tim Hardaway Jr. A guy who's probably been the best player on his team since he's five. The guy who's been the son of an NBA legend and Tim Hardaway, his dad. He got slapped in the face. He got sent down to the D-League. He wasn't getting minutes. So what did he do? He got in better shape. He got more consistent with his shot. And he actually got more comfortable handling the ball and getting to the rim. And that goes to my second point. So the first point was the price is high. No matter how you look at it, $17 million is a lot. Four years is how, how much you can give a guy. So this $17 million is on the Knicks. It's on the Knicks cap. It's there. You have to accept it, and you have to accept that it's a high price. But I move past that because there's possibilities where he makes the 17 worth it if he accomplishes certain things. And that's where you got to get into his game. And that's where I got frustrated here in reaction because it was all the money's too much, the money's too much, the money's too much. He's not that good, he's not that good, he's not that good. You have to look at everything. So $17 million for him in his fifth year in the NBA might be a little much. But if his sixth, seventh, eighth year, if he makes $17 million worth it, the deal gets a lot better. So this is what he proved through his statistics that I looked at on why you can think he has the ability to make the $17 million worth it each and every year for the next four So he played 80 games in his first year, 70 in his second. And then, like I said, in Atlanta, he got sent to the D-League. He started only one game. He played 50. He only played 16 minutes a game when he was in the NBA. Then, let's jump to his fourth year. Because as I wrote in my article, when you look at his basic, basic career stats, years one, two, and three are not good. Number one's good. Number two, no improvement. Number three, big drop-off. That's not a good sign for an NBA player. But in year number four, 
with an uptick in not just minutes, but stats. There's a deeper storyline than his simple 14 points, two assists, three rebounds. There's more to him shooting 36% from three and 45% from the field, which are, you know, pretty decent for a young guy in the league. There's more to it. So let's get into that. You may have heard this take by a guy who is trying to find the silver lining in the Tim Hardaway deal. Once Kyle Korver left, and once he got inserted to be a starter, Tim Hardaway, his efficiency went down a little bit, but he performed, and it was a top player on the Atlanta Hawks team that made the playoffs. So you may have heard people say, post-All-Star break and... Uh, once he became a starter, that he really improved, and he did, and I will show you that through a couple stats. So first off, this is very simple. As a starter, he averaged 17 points, 3.5 rebounds, and 3 assists. Off the bench, he averaged just 12, 2, and 2. So clearly, with 33 minutes instead of 23, you're going to get more touches, you're going to get more shots up, and his stats clearly improved from it, right? But where is the true difference? Because, you know, usage goes up, you usually get more stats, right? Pretty simple. Maybe not too much to take from right there. But let's look pre-All-Star break and post-All-Star break. Once his minutes went up, pre-All-Star break, he was averaging 25 minutes. Post-All-Star break, 32. He also changed his field goal percentage post-All-Star break from 44 to 47. His three-point field goal percentage from 35 to 37. So with increased usage, increased minutes, he actually found a way to increase his efficiency when it comes to shooting the basketball. But perhaps my favorite thing here is that he became a more versatile, team-oriented player. Now, I'm not sure how much you've watched the Atlanta Hawks in your day. These recent Atlanta Hawks, I should say. Especially the ones led by Dennis Schroeder, Paul Millsap, who's no longer there. And realistically, their coach as one of the other key, key components to this team. Atlanta Hawks have great ball movement. They space the floor very well. And they share the ball. Cole Millsap was probably the high scorer. Dennis Schroeder was number two. But on any given night, whoever has the hot hand, Kent Bazemore, even the guy Delaney who played some point guard for them, they had different guys who affected the game in positive ways. Torian Prince turned out to be a solid rookie. But Tim Hardaway Jr. was their spark. And he was actually a very consistent scorer for them down the stretch. What I liked the most about what he did in the second half with Atlanta last year is how he didn't just shoot. He wasn't just a three-point shooter. And I think that's what's getting lost in this Tim Hardaway deal. Because let's be real, Knicks fans, be real with yourself. Be real Be real with each other. I don't believe that you watched that many Hawks games last year. And I'm not trying to sit here that I watched the Hawks night in and night out. That ain't true. But I keep up, and I watched Tim. And I watched some of his good performances. I actually caught a few games where he was getting 20 points here and 20 points there live, or at least part, partially live. The man put the ball on the floor. The man finishes with both hands. 
He was actually getting above the rim and throwing down with some defense. These are things you saw so far and few between with the Knicks where you're like, maybe he can be good. He has some of the tools. Let's get some consistency here. That's what he finally was able to do post-All-Star break for the Atlanta Hawks last year. So what does that mean for the New York Knicks? Think about a player who, when 24-25, had a very good year. Better than any of the three he had before that. Do they typically get better or worse from age 26 to 29? Right? Sounds pretty simple. But that is one of the things that people are missing here. The Knicks took a chance on a guy who's going to be 26. A guy who has his best years ahead of him. So what does he need to do as a six foot six shooting guard small forward to make $17 million a year worth it for the New York Knicks? Well, I'll tell you two things that he needs to get better at. Number one is defensive focus. But let's be real, that's the entire Knicks team. He needs to be more defensively focused because his 6'6 athletic frame should be able to be a good defender. And what else does he have to do? He has to prove he can do what he did for half a year for a full season at a time. He has to prove that he's worth $17 million a year. Because seeing the glimpses and the highlights and the few games that I saw of Tim Hardaway last year, he was a different man. Not a different. He was a different basketball player, but I'm not talking about different basketball player. His demeanor on the court was more aggressive and more focused. His confidence of taking the ball to the rim, hitting tough shots near defense, actually elevating and throwing the ball down, and taking contested on-the-move jump shots, that came from confidence. That came from work. That came from being pushed down and slapped in the face for a little while. From thinking he may not make it back into this league for a little bit. And then he got inspired and he changed his game and he became more aggressive and more confident. So what does he have to do? And this goes to my third and final point. What does he have to do to make $17 million worth it? Because right now, as we speak, he is the 14th highest paid shooting guard in the league. Now, you might say, 14th highest paid, that kind of sounds average, I guess. Who's he near? Well, he's right behind Evan Fournier, who is a 20-point-a-game scorer on a lousy team and doesn't play much defense. He's just ahead of J.R. Smith, Austin Rivers, Courtney Lee, Jordan Clarkson. Those are guys who make less than him, and uh, kind of substantially less because... He's at about 16, 17, going to be closer to 18. And these guys are in the 13s and 12 range. Understandable that it's a little bit of a spread there. But those are the guys right near him. And let's be real. He has the absolute ability to be as good as any of those guys. And I think he has the ability to be better than all of those guys. Because J.R. Smith's in his 30s. Courtney Lee's in his 30s. Eric Gordon just had his first healthy season almost in his career and won six man of the year. Earned it. But he's a six man. Could be a starter, but he's a six-man. Olsen Rivers has been underwhelming. Jordan Clarkson is going to get this type of payday next year. Jordan Clarkson will be making almost $17 million next year when he becomes a free agent. 
You better believe it. So he's 14th on shooting guards right now. And will be little by little past every year uh, as more people get bigger contracts as the NBA cap uh, expands and all that. But in my opinion, what Hardaway needs to do to make $17 million worth it is be a quality starter. If you can shoe in Tim Hardaway Jr. into the starting two spot or, or three spot on occasion, night in and night out for 80 games a year, and he can score some points and be focused on the defensive end, not looking for him to be locked down, looking for him to be focused. Don't make big, big mistakes. Make some steals. Get in transition a little bit, which transition was a huge upgrade for him last year. But you need to be a quality starter. When you see $17 million, you might think Tim Hardaway has to be a star. But that is the expectation that kills and beats up Knicks fans every single time a deal like this gets made. Weathering your expectations as a Knicks fan, and I know it's tough. Like I know it's tough because I have to remind myself and I struggle with it. But luckily when I'm being here candid with you talking on this SBNY podcast, I usually do a better job of being objective. Tim Hardaway Jr. will never be the best player on a quality team. He will never be a top two player on a true contender. I'm talking conference finals or bust type of team. He will never be a top two player on that team. But what he can be, and what he proved he can be last year, is the third or fourth best player on a playoff team. And a quality starter. Now, I don't know about you, but when we're talking New York Knicks, and you're talking a guy who can be the third best scorer and a quality starter on a playoff team, gimme him. I will take that guy. And then you take in the fact that he had to, that he was a restricted free agent, and in order to actually get him into New York, you have to overpay a touch. Because that's how restricted free agency works. If they gave him 13, Atlanta was taking him right back. So they shot their shot. They went after Hardaway. He's 25, not 30. And he's entering his NBA basketball prime. So you can sit here all you want and complain about $17 million. But when we come to October next year, if we have a shooting guard who we can shoot in for 80 games, who can score close to 17 points, who can grab three or four rebounds, who can dish out three or four assists, maybe probably closer to three, and shoot 45% from the field and 35% from three, that sounds like a man that the Knicks haven't had in a long time. That sounds like a man who all teams are paying this much. Guys who can shoot and space the floor. Guys who are slashing. And hopefully, he can become a focused defender. These guys are getting paid around the league. It's not just him. Like I said to you before, Evan Fournier makes more money than him. Wesley Matthews on the Dallas Mavericks makes more money than him. What is Wesley Matthews? He's a good shooter. I mean, he's had some injuries, but good shooter, good defender, some slashing upside. He doesn't really have the slashing upside anymore. He did in Portland. 
But what was he also? He was the third or fourth best player on a quality playoff team with the Portland Trailblazers. You had Dame, who was the best. You had LaMarcus Aldridge, who was our 1A, 1B, if you want, with Dame. Then you had Nick Batum, Wesley Matthews, three or four. If the Knicks went out and signed Wesley Matthews after his tenure with the Portland Trailblazers, you best believe Knicks fans would have been happy about that. And what was he? Really, what was he? The third or fourth best player on a playoff team. That's what we need Tim Hardaway Jr. to do to salvage the $17 million deal. I will not sit up here and talk to you guys and say this man's going to be a star. I'm not going to lie to you. I don't want to lie to you. I don't want to lie to myself. But if he can become a part, maybe not in year one, remember that we're not a playoff team in year one. The Knicks are not a playoff team right now. Maybe not year one, but in year two, year three, if it could be KP, maybe another guy, Mila Kina, and Tim, we could see if Willie gets up to any of their levels, Willie Hernan Gomez. If Tim could be that third guy or that fourth guy and shoot in for 80 games a year, you're going to look at $17 million in three years and say, that wasn't bad. That wasn't so bad. That dude started a lot of games. That dude scored some points, about 17 a game, I hope. Would you not be happy with 17 a game? Would you not be happy with 17, 3.5, 3.5 with a 45% field goal percentage, 35% three-point field goal percentage? Because that, that would do the trick for me. That would truly do the trick for me. But again, and I need to emphasize this point to no end, the most important thing about this Tim Hardaway deal Four years, $71 million. The most important thing is that the Knicks took a shot on a 25-year-old, not a 28-year-old, not a 30-year-old, on a guy entering his prime. And this is sad. But for the Knicks fan, for you and me, a decent deal, a deal that you can look at and say that was fair or that was decent, is pretty great with how this franchise has done over the past five years. It is almost fantastic to have a decent deal done if you're a New York Knicks fan. So get upset about the $17 million if you want, but I hope I could at least enlighten you a little bit that you can't expect him to be a star. You need to know what his worth is on the court and forget about what his worth is at the bank. The Knicks signed a man turning 25, or turning 26, who is 25, to be a quality starter, to be a shooting guard small forward who can play 30 minutes a night, who can score 15 to 20 every single night with some high 20s, 30-point upside because he did it last year, who can be a spark plug, who's an athlete who's not just a shooter but can slash a little bit, doesn't hinder ball movement, and hopefully he gets more focused on defense. But I'm telling you this, I saw a hungrier basketball player and a hungrier man in Tim Hardaway Jr. last year than any of his prior three. So my super average grade of this deal is a B. Boring. Lukewarm opinion. Yeah, not a hot take, not a cold take. It's a real take. It's how I really feel about it. Because something can be okay. Not everything has to be fantastic. 
Not everything has to be horrible. And that's a problem with New York Knicks fans sometimes. And, you know, I get trapped in that as well. But this guy's entering his prime, had a great year. Typically, a 26-year-old doesn't get worse. That's all I'm saying. Give this guy a B. Start 80 games for me every year. Score 17 points. I'm a happy camper. I would be a happy camper. But this is the Sports Blog New York Podcast. My name is Peter Kennedy. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, at Kennedy with two Ys. And don't forget to subscribe and especially rate and review this very podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcast app, as well as Google Play. Those ratings and reviews mean a ton to me. So if you can get onto the Apple Podcast app, I love to hear the feedback. I love doing this podcast to come out. Every uh, you know Sunday night I record, give you some new content on Monday mornings, and then typically on a Wednesday or a Thursday, I will hit you back with some more content, and I just enjoy doing it, and I couldn't do it without Sportsblog New York, sportsblognewyork.com, at sportsblognyc on Twitter, as well as my presenting sponsor, which is Wooter Apparel. You can find them at wooterapparel.com or on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Wooter Apparel. That's W-O-O-T-E-R Apparel. To check out some of the heat that they're working with, giving you not just baseball, basketball jerseys, but football, track and field, hockey, lacrosse, every sport you can imagine, as well as novelty items or useful items like bags and backpacks, everything you can think of, fully customizable, fantastic design team. you got to work with them to see what they can do. But if you do work with them, don't forget to use discount code SBNY at your purchase. That's discount code SBNY. And let me know what you think about the Tim Hardaway deal. Because I tried to be objective. I Hopefully, I did the job. Hopefully, even if you still think I'm wrong and you think it's a bad deal, I hope that you look at it from more angles than just, that's too much money. I hope you look at it more than just, that guy's failed in New York before. You have to remember, he went to a new team with a good culture, with Mike Budenhoser, a good coach, who cares about defense, cares about ball movement. He's played more meaningful basketball in half a season than the Knicks have since they drafted Tim Hardaway. Think about that. Tim Hardaway Jr. played more meaningful basketball after the All-Star break last season than the Knicks did since they drafted the guy. If that doesn't tell you something, I don't know what will. So hopefully I weathered your expectations, maybe uh, talked you off the cliff a little bit with this Tim Hardaway deal. Like I said, it's a lot of money. I understand. We can't look at him as a star. Look at him as a quality starter, and we can be happy. But let's move on. Talk about some other things. Because I want to talk about, and this is a little bit of a conundrum here, I guess. A little bit of a catch-22, if you will. I want to talk about NBA Summer League. So I don't know if I'm the only weirdo here who watches Summer League. Let me know if you watch Summer League as well. I'd appreciate it. I'd feel closer to you just by hearing that you watch NBA Summer League, to see these rookies play, to see some of these young guys come out and compete. But what I think is so funny is when people make knee-jerk reactions. It legitimately makes me laugh. I had to tune in for Lonzo Ball's debut, right? If you did not tune in, uh, and if you did not go on the internet or Twitter, he struggled, right? So Lonzo Ball did not shoot very well. Kind of looked passive in my opinion, looked like, you know, he was not scared, but not aggressive, not super confident on the court. Oh, shot two for 11, had some nice passes, didn't do too much late in a close game. People freaked out. 
This guy can't get his shot off. Maybe this guy's going to be a bust. What's going on? He didn't look like himself. People freak out. I go, it's the Summer League, A. It's his first time playing a pro basketball game, B. And C, it doesn't mean anything. How many guys have you seen in a preseason game or you've seen in Summer League in the past go off? Just be, hit a bunch of shots, look great, you never, and then you never seen that guy again. You guys, as Knicks fans, you know who Maurice Endor is, right? Scrub guy who hardly got minutes. He's 26. He's probably going to be out of the league now. Maybe bounce around a little bit. I saw him in the summer league knocking down fadeaway jump shots left and right. I was like, wow, this guy's not bad. Came to the league, had no idea what he was doing. But people feel the need, especially with Lonzo Ball, to either love his misery, or simply just knee-jerk reaction every little thing that happens with him and his family. But it makes me laugh, man. It's summer league. I love to watch it. I love to break it down. I love to think about these young players and what they can turn into in year one, year three, five, seven, and so on. But if you're going to come at me and say, this guy's a bust from one summer league game, I will laugh in your face and say, Let's watch game two at least, right? Like, is that fair? Because what did Lonzo do in game two? He got the most the most fantastic statistical achievement in the NBA right now. He got a triple-double. 11 points, 11 rebounds, 11 assists. Turned it around a little bit. Oh, is he a star again? Is Lonzo Ball now after his second summer league game where he actually did well, is he now going to be a superstar because he had a triple-double? Next, Russell Westbrook? Just relax, okay? Enjoy it. Jason Tatum's been getting buckets. Now, Jason Tatum has been getting buckets in the summer league. That's my next point. If you listen to this very podcast, you know that I am not as high on Jason Tatum as, say, others were. I accept the fact that he's a great scorer, and I think he's going to score points in this league for a long time. He's got great touch. He has a great post move, so post uh, ability, I, sh- I guess I'll say, that he's shown in the summer league. He's scoring 20 points. He's dropping buckets. He's shooting some threes. He's getting to the rim, showing a little more explosiveness than I knew he had in him. But am I going to say, oh, Jason Tatum scoring 20 in the summer league. Boy, was I wrong. He's going to be rookie of the year and lead the Boston Celtics to a championship in year two. No. It has to go both ways here. It takes time. Now, if Jason Tatum in the actual NBA season proves to be a quality defender and can get buckets on real NBA defenders and not guys fighting for a spot in the league, and then he's still scoring 25 points, then I'll say, all right, maybe I was really, really wrong on this. But I think Jason Tatum is going to be a quality NBA starter. I think he will be an all-star at some point in his career. I just don't believe he's going to be a superstar who is going to lead his team number one. I don't think he'll be the number one player on a really great team. I don't see Jason Tatum as the man on the team. I look at some other guys. When I look at uh, Josh Jackson, when I look at Markel Fultz, I look at Dennis Smith even. To a lesser extent, Lonzo, just due to his uh, style of play. But Josh Jackson, I could see him as being the man on a team. Kawhi Leonard style. I can see Jason Tatum being part of a fantastic duo, trio, or foursome of players. 
But pe- people, again, uh, they it goes both ways sometimes. I'm not going to sit here and totally retract my statement on a man after a couple summer league games. I liked watching him play. I actually liken Jason Tatum to Carmelo Anthony. And I'm not saying that as an insult because thinking about Carmelo Anthony now in 2017, that can be taken as insult. I'm talking about like Denver Carmelo Anthony, early New York Carmelo Anthony, guy who got buckets better than anybody in the league. When Carmelo Anthony was truly successful in this NBA, he had quality NBA players around him. These past couple years in New York, he's had a young guy who's good and basically nobody else, right? When Carmelo Anthony was good in Denver, he had Andre Iguodala. He had Chauncey Billups. He had Nene. He had guys who earned respect in this league, guys who make differences on teams in the league, some of them who still do. If you've seen Nene for Houston Rockets in the playoffs, the guy was making a difference. If you've seen Andre Iguodala for the Warriors, you know he means so much to that team. So if Jason Tatum's in the right situation, I ain't saying he can't be a winner. I ain't saying he can't be a very good player, can't be an all-star. He needs good players around him. He's a bucket getter. We have to see if he can get buckets against real defense. We have to see if he can play good defense. So Jason Tatum, I've liked what I've seen so far, but slow your roll. Everybody, slow your roll. It's summer league. I love watching it, probably more than I should. But we have to be realistic with these things. Lonzo Ball's not a bust yet. And Jason Tatum's not going to score 30 points a game this year. The last thing I'm going to do here on the SBNY podcast, again, my name is Pete Kennedy. Hit me up on Twitter, at Pete Kennedy with two Ys. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this very podcast. The last thing I'm going to do here, we're about 50 minutes in. I'm just going to run through a couple guys that I got to watch in the summer league, who I enjoyed to watch, who I think have translatable games to the NBA, who are guys that we're going to look at this year and say, wow, already impact players. And guys who we might look at in three to five to seven years and say, that guy is damn, damn good. And the first guy I'm going to start off with is Donovan Mitchell on the Utah Jazz. He's a sophomore out of Louisville. He's a combo guard, but not in the negative connotation, in the positive one, in the sense that he can guard ones and twos, in the sense that he can handle the ball but you don't really want him handling it all the time, but he can handle it. He can shoot, he can make tough shots, and he's an athlete, and he grinds on defense. Donovan Mitchell, the Utah Jazz traded up for him, will be one of the better rookies in the league. I think he is a dark horse rookie of the year, but like I've mentioned, I think the rookie of the year is coming out of Philadelphia, and that's going to be Ben Simmons. Some of the dark horse candidates, I think Dennis Smith, Markel Fultz a little bit, And then Donovan Mitchell, Josh Jackson, Jason Tatum. Guys who can already translate skill into the NBA. Donovan Mitchell reminds me a little bit of a bigger Eric Bledsoe. He's got a little more size than him. But his his athleticism is aggressive. It's forceful. When he moves, it's with purpose. He takes setbacks from the three. He gets to the, to the lane and uses his body to finish. He is willing to pass the ball, and he grinds on defense. Donovan Mitchell is a guy to keep your eye out once the season starts off in October. As a, as a rookie who can make an impact, who can help actually keep the Jazz in the playoffs because the West is so packed. 
And I'm not giving up on the Jazz because they lost Gordon Hayward. They have a great coach and a great culture. And they just drafted a guy who can probably help them in year one. So keep an eye on Donovan Mitchell. The next guy I want to talk about is Dennis Smith Jr. Dennis Smith Jr., Malik Monk, Frank Nielakina, and to a lesser extent Donovan Mitchell are going to be tied at the hip for their careers, at least from a New York Knicks perspective. The Knicks drafted Nielakina. As we know, we don't know much about him yet. Haven't seen him play for the Knicks yet. They drafted Neil Aquina, and they passed on Smith, and they passed on Monk, and they passed on Donovan Mitchell, who they were actually tied to as they drew interest for him at number eight, which was surprising to a lot of people. And I think if they had 10, 11, or 12, they probably would have took, taken Donovan Mitchell. But they felt eight was a stretch, I understand, even though I liked him as well. We got Neil Aquina. But let's talk about Dennis Smith. That's a guy who has assassin qualities. I think he has a lot to grow in the sense of basketball. Uh, I don't want to say IQ, but I want to say like holistic basketball ability of knowing when to make the right pass and knowing when to defer and knowing when it's your night and when it's not your night. Kind of reminds me of Russell Westbrook in the sense where he can do everything himself, but he has to figure out the right times to do those things and to make his teammates better all the time. But if you're comparing somebody to Russell Westbrook, that's a damn good place to be. And Dennis Smith has outstanding athletic ability. My man takes tough shots with confidence and makes them. And I think there's a sense from Knicks fans that we made the wrong decision already. And I understand. I have defended the Neil Aquino decision, and I'm going to root for the guy. I think he still has great upsides. I'm not going to jump and say Dennis Smith is better than him, will be better than him, but I'm warning you. Dennis Smith will be compared to Frank and Monk for the rest of their careers. And off the, off the bat, off the start, this first year coming up, Dennis Smith will be the better player. He will be the best of those three. He's on a team with good culture, Rick Carlisle, Dirk Nowitzki, Mark Cuban, if you will. And he's going to be given the ability to play with confidence, and he has the confidence. Year one, I'm giving the edge to Dennis Smith. Down the road, we'll see who turns into the right role player. We'll, we'll, we'll see who learns how to utilize his skills the best. But Dennis Smith will be a quality rookie in the NBA. And he's going to make more impact on the game than Frank will and Malik Monk will in year one. I feel very confident about that. We'll see how it goes years two through ten and so on and so forth. But Dennis Smith Jr. has real talent, and he'll be a quality, quality, quality rookie. And the last guy I'd like to talk about uh, regarding these rookies, because I think the rookie class here is super, super interesting. I just think there's guys who are going to be playing real NBA minutes, who are going to be playing on some good teams and some on some up-and-coming teams with bright futures. Some teams with bright futures that you don't expect to have a bright future. And that's De'Aaron Fox in Sacramento. And uh, as you probably know, I record this podcast for Monday morning on Sunday night, so he's actually mid-summer league game as we speak. And it's uh, 
second. It just ended half, first half. He's got 14 points, four rebounds, three assists, three steals. But I'm not going to get into his summer league stats. I'm going to get into the guy's uh, motor, the demeanor that I see him play with on the court. He's aggressive and confident. He's willing to make the right pass, and he does make the right pass. He's a little bit more aggressive than Lonzo. Lonzo plays that chill style where he's trying to move smoothly, and he's trying to make you go to sleep for him to cross you up. De'Aaron Fox is full throttle. When they compare this man to John Wall, it's not by accident. De'Aaron Fox has NBA speed right now. De'Aaron Fox has NBA point guard vision right now. I saw him hit a couple. Uh, uh, he hit a little double crossover to his left, which is his strong side, but got defended very well at the rim and quickly floated a ball up off the glass and right in. It was a beautiful, beautiful shot, and I saw him do that, and I saw him do it with confidence, and I saw him no hesitation on the dribble move, um, the gather, or the shot. It looked like a shot he's practiced before, and it's not a shot you take a lot. Little things like that is why I like to watch Summer League. Because you see a man, a young man, hard to even call him, man. He's not 21. He can't buy a drink legally. You see them make plays, and you see them do tough basketball uh, plays or whatever. You see them make tough basketball plays, and they make it look easy, and they make it look like they've done it before. It really puts confidence into a fan base. And I talked about it last week. I love what Sacramento did, bringing in now Vince Carter, bringing in Zach Randolph, bringing in George Hill. They got Darren Fox. They got uh, Justin Jackson, Harry Giles, Frank um, Mason out of Kansas. Four young rookies. Their culture is going to be completely changed. Buddy Heald is going to skyrocket playing next to George Hill and Darren Fox, especially as Darren Fox and Buddy Heald grow together. That dude's the shooter that Darren Fox needs to light everybody up because he's quick, he got handles, and he got confidence. And when he gets to the rack, and is able to finish, and he gets his jump shot going a little bit, because it's not broken. It's not broken. He's going to be slinging passes. I could see this man being 20-10 and 10 for a long time in this league. Love De'Aaron Fox, another dark horse rookie of the year candidate. So those, those couple guys, Donovan Mitchell, Dennis Smith, De'Aaron Fox, um, and I talked about another guy who I can't for, remember at this very moment, are some of the guys I loved watching in Summer League. Um, but that's about all I'm going to get into today. We're hitting up in, on an hour this is the Sports Block New York Podcast. Hopefully you've enjoyed today's episode. Give me some feedback at Pete Kennedy, 2 wise on Twitter, uh, as well as through the feedback uh, rating and review system they got on Apple Podcasts, App, iTunes, and Google Play. Let me know what you think of the podcast, of me, of what we cover, what you want to hear more of, what you want to hear less of. Any thought you have on the Sports Block New York Podcast, let me know. I greatly appreciate every single listener and everybody who gives some feedback. It means the world, the world to me. I love doing this podcast. I'm going to keep doing it as long as you guys keep coming back to listen. So thank you very much. I'm Pete Kennedy. Enjoy your week. Happy Monday. Another long week ahead. But thank God we got great sports to talk about, and we're going to keep talking about them. So have a good one. Thank you for listening.